Okay, it is Mother's Day, but we are going to finish up our series on the fatherhood of God. But I'll give a nod or two to moms as well through the service. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. My three favorite toys growing up. Big Jim Rescue Rig, my slot cars, and uh, Evil Knievel Stunt Cycle. These were my absolute favorite toys. I played with these and played and played until they broke. These were, these were the best toys. And you know, I, I loved toys growing up. I like sports, but I love toys. And I remember when the catalogs would come with toys in them. Uh, they were perfectly timed, you know, September-ish, October, so that kids could apply the right amount of guilt and manipulation to their parents so the parents could give in to that, order the toy, have it delivered and wrapped before Christmas, right? So the catalogs would come and my sister and I would open up those catalogs and we would just pour over them, right? Page after page and we would circle things and prioritize things so that we could create a strategy to maximize the number of toys we would receive at Christmas, all right? Now here's the truth. I never received everything I wanted. I never received everything I wanted. You know why? Because my parents didn't love me. (laughs) That's why they gave me socks and underwear for Christmas, right? Of course they loved me. Of course they loved me. But they had uh, bigger objectives than just filling my toy box with toys. They loved me. Now that analogy about Christmas gifts relates to our understanding of the character and personality of God. God, our Heavenly Father, loves to give good gifts. He's kind and he's gracious and he loves to give, but he doesn't always give us everything that we want when we want it, does he? In fact, sometimes he gives us things that we don't want and we're tempted to doubt his character and wonder, is he really good? Does he really care? Is he really able to give good gifts? Jesus reminds us in no uncertain terms that our Father is good, that he does care. He loves to give good gifts so that even when we are tempted to doubt because of our circumstances, we can remember our Father is a good Heavenly Father and a good Father loves to give good gifts. I want you to read with me in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. For what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Now, that sounds like kind of a blanket invitation, doesn't it? Just ask and you will receive. So why don't we receive exactly what we have asked for? I want you to notice in the context, what is it that the child is asking for? It says, the son asks for a loaf. And the son asks for bread. The son asks for fish. The son asks for sustenance in first century Israel, the the basic necessities of life. And the father gives those and the father doesn't give things that harm, but he gives what is good. That seems to be the general theme of Sermon on the Mount. If you look back in chapter six, verse 31, Jesus says, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink 
What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. In other words, the basic idea in the Sermon on the Mount is focused on the things that we need for life. But if you read Jesus' words, you discover throughout the Gospels that he he exhorts us to, to go into the very depths of the generosity with God. Seek out the very generosity of God. Not just for the things that we need, but also for the things that we want. Why? Because God is a good Heavenly Father. He is a loving Heavenly Father, and a good Father loves to give good gifts. R.T. France, in his commentary on Matthew, said this, God's care is, of course, far more than even the best human parent can give, and it is certainly never less. You know, I love Christmas now more than I love Christmas when I was a kid. It was fun to, to receive gifts, but it is so much more fun to give gifts. Uh, any Christmas, if I don't get anything for Christmas, you know, that, that's okay. It really doesn't bother me at all. In fact, my kids can't afford the kind of toys that I want now anyway, so it's okay. You don't need to give me anything. But it is so fun to see their eyes light up. It is so much more blessed to give than to receive. What Jesus is saying is, how much more your heavenly father? Parents, do you love to give good gifts to your children? How much more your heavenly father? Does it, does it thrill you more than anything to see their eyes light up? Where did that come from within you? That is the image of God within you. Jesus says, how much more your heavenly father? Do you know him? Do you know what he's really like? What do we know about our father? Well, four things I want to remind you of this morning. The first is this. Our father loves to give good gifts. Our father loves to give good gifts. I want you to turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 1. In verse 17, James chapter 1, verse 17, James writes, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. James says, every good thing originates with God. He's not just the creator of lights, he's the father of lights. James puts it in personal terms. He's the father of the sun and the moon, these wonderful gifts to earth that allow for life to exist. But even the sun and the moon cast a shadow, and it's a shadow that shifts, but God, our Heavenly Father, he doesn't shift or vary at all. He is a giver of good gifts. That is the fundamental nature of God. He is the giver of good gifts. I want you to stop and think for just a moment. What are the good gifts that you have received from God, your Heavenly Father? It's very valuable to our spiritual lives just to stop for a moment and think, what are the good gifts that God has given to you? You exist. Here you are. He's given you a body. Is it a perfect body? Is it always healthy? No. But you have life. And you get to move through this life and develop friendships and family and experience sights and sounds and smells and take opportunities. You have salvation. You have life not just now, but you have hope for life that lasts forever. God has given you all of these good gifts. Every good gift that you have is from God. There is no other source of good gifts, just God the Father. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Every good gift is from the Father above. The creator, sustainer of all of life, 
with whom there's no variation, there's no shifting shadow. He's good and he's always good. Conversely, James says, no bad thing originates with God. Read with me verse 16. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. In the context, uh, they were being deceived in that they were thinking that the consequences of their sin was God's fault. That somehow it was God who was responsible for them sinning and experiencing consequences for sin. That's the first sin, the original sin in a sense that came right after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the garden. God confronted them and Adam said, God, apparently you didn't create the perfect atmosphere or environment in which I could walk with you and live with you. In fact, you put her in the garden with me. (laughs) The woman that you gave to me. God, you're at fault here. I probably wouldn't have taken fruit in the first place if she hadn't. And Adam shifted the responsibility to God, and we tend to do the same thing. We experience different hardships in our life, and we forget, well, it's, it's, a, it's a broken, fallen world. And sometimes God doesn't intervene so that we experience the same struggles and suffering with the rest of the world, so we can show them we have hope in Jesus, and we have hope in eternity, we have hope for life. And so we're not always rescued out of trials and tribulations and sufferings. And sometimes we experience consequences for our own sin because God created a moral order in this universe in which we live. It's not God to blame because God doesn't send evil upon us. Remember when my kids were little, I'd come home from time to time and they would meet me at the door and they would say, mommy was mean today. She was mean mommy. And I go, really? Mommy was mean today. You know, that just doesn't seem consistent with the woman that I married. She was mean. Tell me about her meanness, right? You don't like mean mommy, do you? You like happy mommy. So why was mommy not happy mommy like she usually is, but she was mean mommy. Of course, she wasn't mean. She wasn't mean mommy. But they were often experiencing the consequences of their own choices, and they didn't like it. Sometimes we do the same. But the fact is, God is a giver of good gifts. God, our Heavenly Father, in fact, loves to give good gifts. So why is it that we don't always receive what we want when we want it? Sometimes because we ask for things that are not, in fact, good for us. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a wonderful commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, I thank God that he is not prepared to do anything that I may chance to ask him. Looking back, I say that I am profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I asked. And that he shut certain doors in my face. But it's only time and experience and wisdom, right, that allows us to look back and say, what I was asking for in that moment wasn't best. And there was something good even in that circumstance that God could do. I remember when I applied for a counselor at a Christian camp, I wanted to work with high school kids because I thought that would be really cool. Spend a summer working with high school kids. And I got a call back and they said, we don't have any slots open for you to work with high school kids, but you can work with the little children. I was like, mm, don't want to sound too proud, but can I call you back on that? That wasn't really what I had thought I wanted to do with my summer. It didn't sound like a really fun way to spend my summer. But out of guilt and shame, I called him back and said, sure, all right, I'll work with little kids for the summer. You know, I got there and I had a fantastic summer. I had a great summer. I fell in love with working with little kids. It was, it was outstanding. And I developed friendships that literally last to this day with other counselors at that camp. I didn't know what God knew. 
I was asking for something in a sense that wasn't the best. Would it have been a bad thing? Well, maybe not. But this was a really good thing. And sometimes we ask for things that are not best for us. Sometimes we ask with motives that are not pure. James says in James 4, You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Read with me chapter 1 of James and verse 5. James says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, which is a good gift, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded or a double-souled man, unstable in all his ways. James is saying this, if you ask for wisdom, God will give you wisdom. Freely, generously, he loves to give wisdom. But if you ask God and you are double-souled and you say to yourself, God, I really want your wisdom, but after I hear your wisdom, I'll decide whether or not I want to take it. God says, no, that's not how I give wisdom. (laughs) Your motive is to compare your opinion with my truth, and so I'm just not going to give it to you at this point in time. And that's so often what happens to us is we ask with a a double soul or a mixed heart or motive. And sometimes God's most extravagant gifts come in really plain wrapping. The Lord is my shepherd, David writes. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. God is a shepherd. He's a shepherd of sheep, David says. He guides, he protects, he directs, he, he, he gives sustenance, he gives water and grass to the sheep. Okay. Seems really plain, but what an extravagant gift. He gives the sheep all that they need. Sometimes God's most extravagant gifts are wrapped in, in very plain, plain wrappings. Now, this last week I, I read a statistic, it was from the Department of Agriculture, According to their latest numbers, a child who was born in 2013 and then who was raised through age 18 costs a middle-class family over $300,000, right? So from zero to 18, if a child's born in 2013 all the way up through age 18, $300,000. That doesn't even include college, people. $300,000. That's a pretty extravagant gift, right? But how is it given? Well, it's given in a very plain way. It's just day in, day out, little gifts, Needs met, time granted. Students, this would be a great day. It is Mother's Day. Call your mom, call your dad and say, thanks. Well, I didn't realize I cost so much. All right, parents, it's a great day to hand your kids a bill. (laughs) But here's the deal. You know what? We parents wouldn't know how much to write the bill for because we don't add it up. Right? We don't add it up. Because a good parent just loves to give and give and give. And Jesus says this, if your heavenly father is reflected in your love for giving, how much more does he love to give? If you love to give to your children who ask of you, how much more God your heavenly father? Why? Because that is his very nature. He's a God who loves to give good gifts. Second, God our heavenly father loves to be asked. He loves to be asked. Turn back to Matthew chapter 7 with me. And let's read this passage again. Matthew 7 and verse 7. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, Jesus says tongue in cheek, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Ask. God loves to be asked. Why do we not receive what we want? Well, James says sometimes it's simply because we have not asked. And Jesus says it's because you haven't asked and asked and asked and persisted in asking. In fact, Matthew chapter 7 is a present tense imperative. It should read like this. Ask and keep on asking and you will receive. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and it will be opened to you. Another persistent theme in Jesus' teachings was that the Heavenly Father wants you to persist in asking him because when you persist in asking him, he gets time with you. When do we most frequently come to our Heavenly Father? It's when we know that we have a need. And when we don't sense any kind of need, we don't come to him. And so sometimes he holds off in the giving because he wants us to come and ask and ask and ask and ask and ask so that we will be with him. When my son was small, I used to take him out to Easterwood Airport, which uh, parents, if you have little kids, it's a great way to spend several hours. I take him out to Easterwood and we would watch the planes coming in and taking off. I remember one day we saw a jet come in, really nice jet flew in and it had Air Force markings on it. And out of that jet came uh, an Air Force general. I guess he had some meetings at A&M and my son looked at me and goes, can we go in that plane? (laughs) "Mm, Probably not. But I thought, why not ask? Why not ask? So I said, Go ask. So if any of you know my son, he only needed a little nudge. And he just walked up, stuck out his hand, said, can I see your plane to the general? (laughs) And the general said, absolutely, come on in. And so they opened the plane back up. We climbed. We got a tour of the entire plane. Ben got to sit in the cockpit. The pilot explained all the dials to him. It was awesome (laughs) for me, right? (laughs) What a great day. And we would have missed that if you hadn't asked. Ask. Just ask. You love to give good gifts to your children? How much more your heavenly father? God is a heavenly father who loves to give good gifts, but he loves to be asked. And he loves to be asked and asked and asked so that he gets time with us. Third principle. Our heavenly father knows what is best. Look back, Sermon on the Mount with me again. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. And Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why don't we receive what we want and when we want it? Sometimes because waiting is what's best for us. Oh, it's hard to wait, isn't it? Remember J. Oswald Sanders said one time, waiting is one of God's primary tools of sanctification. Man, I hate to wait. (laughs) But sometimes waiting is what's best because when we wait, we're forced to learn to trust. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses reminded the people of Israel. He said, remember that God led you into the wilderness and you were there for 40 years. And he led you and guided you around and he provided for you. But he didn't always provide exactly when you wanted him to provide. In fact, sometimes you had to wait and you experienced hunger and you experienced thirst. Even for these fundamental basic needs of life, you had to wait sometimes because waiting taught you to trust in God and it taught you to seek after God and it taught you to understand that life does not consist in what you wear and what you eat and what you drink, but in every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Trust. That's what this is about. Do you trust your heavenly father? Do you really, really trust him? You know, sometimes he stretches that trust because Trust is like a a spiritual muscle. Sometimes it must be stretched and torn so that it can grow in strength. Sometimes we don't receive what we want when we want it because God is stretching us to deepen our trust in his goodness. Sometimes we ask for things that are not best for us, and he knows. He knows what's best. Sometimes we ask for things that are not best for other people around us. Read with me the words of Jesus in Matthew 26. It says, Jesus fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was asking for something that wasn't best for the rest of us. He was saying, God, could you not send me to the cross? No suffering, no separation. God, that's my first request. And God said, no to part A, but yes to part B. The second part, my will be done, I'll I'll answer yes to that. Sometimes we ask for things that are not best for us. If Jesus' first prayer had been answered, his first request, then the debt of sin would not be paid and we wouldn't be here this morning worshiping God. But what Jesus did is he stepped back from what he wanted most and he said, but I trust you, Heavenly Father. You always know what's best and you look beyond even me and you look beyond even this moment and you look into eternity and you look at all things and all people and all of history and you know what's best and so I trust you. So, not my will but yours be done. When Jesus was instructing his disciples how to pray, Matthew cha- or John chapter 14, he said this, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Notice the request, though, is in Jesus' name, which is not 
Just like at the end of our prayer period, in Jesus' name, period, right? Well, you didn't say in Jesus' name yet, so you're not done praying, right? No, that's not what that is. In Jesus' name is really the most important part of every prayer that you pray. Because it means this, thy will be done. Consistent with the character of Jesus and the plan of Jesus, here is my request. And if it is not consistent with the character and plan of Jesus, then Father, I trust you in Jesus' name. Sometimes we ask for things that are not best for us or they're not best for others. And so we relinquish that to our Father and we trust that he is good. If we love to give good gifts, how much more? our Father who is in heaven. Fourth, our Heavenly Father never withholds what is best. Puritan writer once said, Abraham went out not knowing whither he went, but he knew with whom he went. Whither means where. (laughs) He didn't know where he was going, but he knew with whom he was going. That's what Paul said. He said, I know whom I have believed. Not, Not what. It's not just that I know doctrine, but I know him. And I trust him and he is good. And he's always good and he never withholds his best. And so what is his best? Luke chapter 11 verse 13 says this. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Does that sound familiar? That's not the Sermon on the Mount actually. That's the Sermon on the Plain. Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5 through 7. Sermon on the Plain is Luke chapter 11. But they sound a lot alike, but they're two different sermons he gave in two different locations, one on a mountain, one on a plain. But they sound so similar because Jesus, like other preachers, found something that worked and then he kind of wrote it for a while, right? So there were certain sermons, certain themes or parables that Jesus would use frequently. Because they were so important to the message that he wanted to deliver. So in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, how much more will your heavenly father give what is good to those who ask him? Luke chapter 11, he elaborates what is really good and he says, how much more will he give the spirit to those who ask him? Because it is the spirit after Jesus was raised that regenerates us and gives us life. It is the spirit that comes and lives inside of us so that what we receive is the greatest gift from God, which is God himself. See, the greatest gift that God has to offer us is himself. That's why he removes the debt of sin, which is a barrier between us through the blood of his son, Jesus. That's why he causes us to be born again out of the family of darkness into his family. And he adopts us so that we become sons and daughters. We belong to him. He gives us the hope of eternal life that we can enjoy him forever. See, the greatest gift that God has to give to us is himself. And he freely gives himself. You don't have to earn relationship with God. You simply have to accept and welcome relationship with God because Jesus made a way. Jesus is the one who removed the debt of your sin and gives you hope for life with God. And all that you have to do is God say, God, thank you. I, I accept the greatest gift. I accept Jesus. And then when you have Jesus, you have Jesus forever and you have the Father forever. And you can learn to grow and trust that your heavenly Father is the giver of good and perfect gifts. He loves to give. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but he delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? See what Paul is saying? He's saying, how much more? (laughs) 
You love to give good gifts. Where does that come from? What's the image of God within you? And if you think you love to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father who has placed that in you? He loves to give what is good to his children and he will give what is good to his children. As Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, if you should ask me to state in one phrase what I regard as the greatest defect in most Christians' lives, I would say that it is our failure to know God as our father. I agree with that. That's why I really wanted to do this series on the fatherhood of God. Because for so many of us, because the families that we grew up in, we think of God and we think of God as father and we don't see him actually as he is. We experience the discipline of our heavenly father and we're caused to doubt his love rather than seeing that even his discipline is love because a good father loves his children through discipline. Or when we ask for something, we don't receive it immediately. We're we're, we're tempted to doubt that he really cares for us or he's really able to provide. Because our own parents or our own father or mother didn't provide as we needed or didn't love as we needed. And so we need God to reframe our whole understanding and concept of himself and this, this fundamental understanding of his nature, which is God is a good, gracious, kind, loving heavenly father who does what is best for us, even if we don't see it in the moment, because God is love and God loves you. You're growing up. I received a lot of gifts from my parents All my socks and underwear wore out. (laughs) Does that mean they shouldn't have given it to me? No, I needed socks and underwear, even if I wasn't happy about tearing into a present and opening up a box of socks. I needed it. But they all wore out. All my toys broke and they were discarded. I don't have any of those toys from when I grew up. If I had them, I probably would sell them on eBay and make some money because they weren't that important to me, really, now. But what I received as the greatest gift from my parents, from my father and from my mother, was them. Their time, their presence. I remember time with them. I remember lots and lots and lots of family meals. I remember my sister and I would jump up after the meal so we could clear the dishes, put everything into the dishwasher so we could come back and play a game. We played games many nights for many hours. After the meal was done and homework was done, we would play games. We'd go downstairs and we'd play ping pong. We would throw baseballs. We'd take trips together. They gave me themselves. It's the greatest gift they could give. Greatest gift that God can give to you is himself. And he's given it freely in Jesus. Freely in Jesus. So how do we apply this? Let me give you a few thoughts. First is this. I challenge you this week to take some time and literally count your blessings, name them one by one, right? Write them out. There's something of incredible value in our spiritual lives when we List the gifts God has given. Physically, materially, financially, spiritually, relationally. Exhaust the list. Since I just turned 50, I'm making a list right now. 50 things. 50 things I'm thankful for on my 50th birthday. And I hope to get 100. Okay? So take some time this week. Write it out. Think about it. Meditate on the gifts that God has given you. Second, persist in asking, seeking, and knocking. Something you've been asking for for a while and you're discouraged because you didn't get it immediately? Well, get back to asking. Because really, that's what God wants, is he wants you to keep asking because he wants to be with you. And he wants you to be with him. So ask, and I would encourage you, ask really specifically. You want to see specific answers? Make specific requests. And then third, 
Give like your heavenly father gives. You want to be like your heavenly father? He's a God who gives and loves to give. So maybe it's the gospel to a friend or a family member or a neighbor, students who are graduating, you're going to a new city. God's going to give you opportunities to share Jesus. Or maybe you're going home for the summer and your parents don't know Jesus and you get to share Jesus with them. Or maybe it's something material. Friend is going on a mission trip and you can give them some money or you can serve, you can mow their lawn, you can give. That's a reflection of the very nature of God. That's what grace is. Grace means that God, even though we weren't expecting anything and didn't even know we needed anything, he gives and he gives and he gives. You want to be like your heavenly father? Who can you give to this week? So thank God for his gifts. Persist in asking and asking and asking and asking. Doesn't wear God out. God loves that. And then give like your heavenly father gives. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would make us thankful people who see you as you truly are. A good and gracious and kind heavenly father who loves to give good gifts. And Father, even when we don't receive what we want, when we want it, I pray that you would stretch our ability to trust in you and that we would not grow weary of asking and seeking and knocking so that we could be with you and learn from you and love you. And I pray, Father, that our lives would reflect your very character and your nature as a God who gives. I pray that we would be so filled up in our understanding of the gifts that you've given us that we would overflow into the lives of others. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Students, uh, don't forget, if you're graduating, get your packet on the way out. People are handing that out. And give us your furniture. Right? Have a great day.